Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Let's bring on Marnie LePage here from the Manitoba Lyme Disease Support Group. Marnie, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing this. May is Lyme Disease Awareness Month. My Hershey is just over to see Dr. Ron Warb at Anderson Animal Hospital right now, and one of the main reasons she was there this morning was to make sure she gets her protection uh, from ticks. And we've been talking about this now for a couple of days, and I wanted to get you on early in the month here to talk a bit about the disease itself. Your daughter has Lyme disease, right? That's right. So my daughter was, we've been living with it for five years now. So she was bit in 2014, diagnosed later in 2015, and uh, just trying to manage it the best we can since then. I was reading a bit about your story. It's interesting. My sister, after many years of not knowing what was wrong with her, discovered that she had Lyme disease. And she discovered that while living in Houston, and they test more in the States than they do here for this. I think they're starting to test more for it now. Um, but um, I, I noticed that your daughter was diagnosed in the U.S. as well. That's right. Yeah, and the testing here is, I mean, all across Canada, it's not great. And out of our support group that we have, most of the people haven't tested positive here in Canada because it's it's very finicky. It can only be done at a certain time of the infection. And it's like winning the lottery, in a sense, and actually getting a positive diagnosis. So quite a few of us uh, use labs in the U.S. or in Germany to get our diagnosis. But by that time, the disease has already manifested itself in the body, and then it becomes a very difficult challenge from there. Yeah. She will always have Lyme disease, right? There is no cure for this unless it's caught very early. And then sometimes I know there are some therapeutics that that work really well. But as you point out, the longer it goes, uh, the less likely it is that you're ever going to get rid of it. That's exactly right. And if you can catch it, like it's so important if you've been bit to not wait a couple of days to get to the doctor. It's so important to get the treatment right away. And there's a, a course of antibiotics that you can take. And I know many people that have been bit and they've had that course of antibiotics and they're fine. And it's important that you take them until the symptoms are gone. Uh, so sometimes it might be a little bit longer of a course, but it's really important you do that. And it, it can save your whole future going forward without having it. it. It's a really difficult challenge. And are doctors, general practitioners in Manitoba now doing that? Or is this something that you have to go and see uh, like a homeopath about? No, it's, it's twofold, I guess. Manitoba has been doing better, I think, than the rest of Canada in terms of starting to acknowledge it. Um, the education out there is, is very hard to get to all the doctors and to be able to update them as to what's going on and what the proper protocols are. So in that sense, we've been working with Manitoba Health on that. They have a letter on their uh, the Manitoba Health website on the Lyme part of it that a person can take to the doctor with them to just be sure that they're getting the proper treatment because some doctors, there's so much information, they don't always know all the changes that are going on. And in the past, tick bites weren't such a big deal, but they really are now. So having the information with you when you go, you do have to be your own advocate. It's slowly changing, but it's a process that's going to take a while and your future's at stake. So the more educated you are and you've got the information you can take with you, then the better outcomes that can happen. 
Well, and that's why I wanted to have you on because I think awareness is so important. I've had conversations because of my sister and, and her Lyme disease. I've talked to people about their Lyme disease over the years, and I probably know a little more than most people, but awareness is huge. We've got about a minute, a minute and a half left here. I want to give that time to you. What message do you want to get out there as, uh, as this month is Lyme Disease Awareness Month? I think right now it's really important to be aware and doing the tick protection, especially because with COVID, we've been doing a lot more family time, going for the walks that we might not have taken before. But Lyme isn't on the radar necessarily, so you have to make sure you're doing the tick protection. You still have to contact your vet and make sure your dogs are protected. Lots of our members um, are infected, actually, from their pets bringing the ticks inside. The tick removal is also really important. So if you do get bit by a tick, do not use Vaseline, do not use dish soap. You're actually, or essential oils, you're actually irritating the tick and it's going to regurgitate the contents of its stomach into you, increasing your risk of infection. And then also if you are bit and you are having any sort of symptoms, you need to get to the doctor right away. And even with everything going on with COVID, you still need to make sure you're getting there and getting this taken care of. Otherwise, it's a very debilitating autoimmune disease that uh, is very, very difficult to manage your life going forward after being infected with it. Very well said, Marnie. Have you got a website for the support group where people can get more information? Yeah, there's a website, which is manitobalime.com, and then there's also a Facebook page, Manitoba Lyme and Tick-Borne Illnesses, and that one we, we occasionally post and just give some updates on that information there. And we have a closed Facebook group. If anybody has Lyme or is living with it and wants to connect with others, uh, they can request to uh, join that group um, and then it'll be approved and then you're in the support group. We just keep it private so people have a safe space in there but there is that resource as well and we do have support group meetings for them that they can come down and, and connect with people as well. Hey Marnie, I'm right at a time but people are asking and it's a good question, what are the symptoms? Quickly, what are some symptoms if they think they've, first of all, if it looks like you've been bitten but then what what are one or two or three symptoms? The symptoms, there is a big arraignment of them, but it can be anything from fatigue, uh, nausea, joint pain, um, muscle pain, uh, yeah. brain fog, uh, anything that just doesn't, you usually feel off, like it's not, it's flu-like, but it's different than a flu. It's a different type of fatigue that isn't just associated with being tired. Um, and on the website, and even on the Manitoba Health website, there's a list of symptoms. There's so Bell's palsy is another one where you have drooping on one side of the face. That's a very common one that's quite directly related to Lyme disease. Um, Marnie, Marnie, and the bullseye so- rash, but that doesn't have yeah. to be there in order for you to be infected with Lyme. Only a small percentage actually get that rash, but that's for sure a telltale sign that you sure. have Lyme disease. Hey, Marnie, thanks a lot uh, for this. Really appreciate your help, and all the best to you and your daughter. Thank you so much. Marnie LePage, Manitoba Lyme Disease Support Group. May is Lyme Disease Awareness Month. Joining us now, he's been with us a couple times, and they've been great conversations every time, so we're having him back here today, Dr. John Murray, education prof at the University of Manitoba, a curriculum expert. Uh, John, good afternoon. Good afternoon there, Hal, to you and to all of your listeners. It's good to be back again. Great to have you back again, and I've saved a little extra time because it seems like we were always rushed, and uh, I wanted to make sure I had plenty of time 
with you. Before we get into the fact that it looks like the school year is done, although I don't think that's been officially announced, but it seems as though it's done. And before we talk a little homeschooling, I wanted to share with you and get your thoughts on a new survey that I read about this morning. Uh, they talked to 2,000 parents of school-age children, and here's what they found. 77% of the parents agreed teachers should be paid more. <laughs> they said that after uh, having to teach their own kids. Um, 7 out of 10, so 70% admitted that this uh, new assignment, teaching their kids at home, is more challenging than their full-time job. Um, four in five, so 80% have a newfound respect for educators after guiding their own child's, uh, uh, learning at home during the lockdown. Uh, the stats go on and on. Bottom line here is I think moms and dads and parents, for the most part, many more than before all this, have a real appreciation for what teachers do. Well, if I may, I I can't imagine a better situation than to have our parents and caregivers have a have a renewed view on the tremendous challenge that it is to be a teacher in in the 21st century. Health. Uh, it is a very demanding profession. Absolutely, it's a very rewarding one, and this has given our parents an opportunity to have somewhat of a shared space uh, w- with our teachers and. It's one of those professions where you could probably make the argument that for an excellent teacher, you probably can't pay them enough. And and for those who are inadequate to the task, we probably should find a manner in which they could re- be redirected into a new profession. So uh, absolutely, uh, it is a well-remunerated p- profession, absolutely, uh, but it's deservedly so. There's a great deal that goes into it. And then on the other side of it, John, uh, there's a nationwide study that's being done out of Winnipeg here talking to teachers right across the country about their stress, how they're dealing with it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, The teachers we know do a great job. Now they've got new challenges because the parents are doing a lot of it at home now, but these Mm -hmm. teachers now have new challenges. They have to get their job done from afar. I would imagine that we're in a situation now where there's a very, very real possibility, Hal, that in the wake of COVID-19, there could be uh, an education system, not only in this province, but but countrywide and, and elsewhere. This could be an opportunity for the education system to change permanently. Uh, there may not be uh, what once was in terms of education, particularly since so many have seen the manner in which uh, online or e-learning uh, can present both uh, some real positives uh, as well as uh, some efficiencies with respect to learning. But at the same time, there, there's a great deal of social isolation that has gone on with this time with respect to learning, and, and that would be something that would be somewhat more disappointing. So given the fact that we still have a pending commission on education report that's uh, due to be released and, and of course, delayed uh, because of current circumstances, uh, we may be in a situation, Hal, where the, some of the recommendations in that report uh, are actually no longer particularly relevant because of how the system has had to react to a crisis like this. And that could actually be very, very exciting and very liberating for a system that at times can, can seem rather anachronistic and somewhat out of date. Yeah, it might be an opportunity, right? Uh, very much so. The, uh, typically what will happen in any situation is how where, where you have a, a real tension uh, occurring socially 
uh, it's oftentimes the manner in which one looks at it. It can either be looked at it as a situation of, of dire circumstances and, and we simply cannot operate as we used to. Uh, the brighter side of that is to imagine and maybe even reimagine an entirely different manner in which we educate our kids. And perhaps that will become something that will be more cooperative across community groups, across our parent groups and, and the, the formal education system proper. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of it, see what happens. But I, I agree. I think uh, just, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, and I don't have kids, uh, but I've always had incredible respect for teachers, and I've said that many times on my show over the years. Um, teachers have an incredibly difficult job. They do a fantastic job, and they, they should be paid more. There's lots of people that should be paid more, but, but teachers uh, would be pretty high on, on my list uh, anyhow. Now, all of this said, though, John, some parents have really had a tough time with this. Some have just thrown their hands in the air and uh, wrapped up the school year at home. I guess that's maybe the best way to um, uh, to put it. What would your advice be to them? How do they uh, carry on, even if it's been incredibly difficult? Okay, it's an excellent question. It's an excellent question. And, and, and here my remarks might not be particularly popular uh, in certain circles, but I, uh, this is probably something that over 25 years as an educator has, has provided me some opportunity to, to feel comfortable with. We can probably look at the loss of these 60 days of formal schooling as, as being a situation uh, that, we, that we simply cannot get back. Uh, if the Department of Education uh, combined uh, with our provincial uh, health services and, and so on, if we're in a position where we can't reopen the schools, uh, I don't think that we are going to be in a situation how, where children are going to be left behind with this loss of 60 days of formal schooling. Because in, unless what a student is learning is very much in a mastery learning model, uh, where there's specific material uh, that is going to be uh, learned, repeated, practiced, and so on, such as serving a volleyball or mentally doing simple arithmetic and so on, uh, most learning is very, very short-term and is generally not carried over from, from one year to the next. The skills, however, and the experiences that, that allow those skills to operate are things uh, that can very much go forward. And uh, the message that I might like to leave for the parents who are really struggling, uh, particularly now that we're reaching the, the warmer months, uh, if they genuinely are experiencing high levels of stress and high levels of concern uh, over having to be in charge of their kids' education. And so here I'm thinking of uh, a, a household that may have two or three young kids, and they may have parents who have both lost their employment over the last six to eight weeks because of COVID. You know, what kind of a message do we want to send to them? Uh, I think that, practically speaking, virtually all formal structured learning is now suspended until September uh, for kids that are under the age of 12. Now, I'd like to qualify that by suggesting that skills-related uh, learning related to numeracy and literacy and being aware of the world situation, uh, that can continue. But the recommendations, even from our largest and most diverse school division, the Winnipeg School Division, is that for kids under the age of 12, that's generally no more than one to two hours per day of some type of, some type of formal uh, structured learning. 
everything else is very much going to be related to uh, opportunities that are very much family oriented and, and community or- oriented and just essentially living from day to day uh, within our, our family situations. Uh, I would never put myself in a position where I would impugn uh, parents for just simply letting go and saying, I, I just simply can't deal with this anymore. Uh, I need a new model. And their kids are not going to be left behind. We'll have mechanisms by which uh, we can recover uh, certain of these situations as we go into the fall. I think it's really all about uh, knitting that family together as best as possible, uh, making the connections uh, with our teachers as might need to be. But if they really need to let go, I don't think a lot is going to be lost if there is something of real value that's going to be replacing that time. And I have a couple of thoughts on that down the road, too. Well, give them to us right now. I think this is stuff that we've talked about before, but this is, this is if it is, this is really good advice, how you can continue to help your child learn and grow just by involving them in things that may not seem like teaching opportunities, but they are. So, so go ahead, John. Uh, yes. And, and in essence, once we extract ourselves from what could be described as curriculum-based learning experiences, it's really all about uh, good and authentic parenting. So if, if we have a situation how where there's really only an obligation uh, for kids to engage about one to two hours a day with something that might be formally related to the curriculum, that actually opens up, of course, uh, the rest of the day uh, to be interacting uh, as if uh, we were in a situation of, of a summer recess. So what I might suggest uh, just for the year 2020 is, is that our, our parents are really in a situation where instead of having a two-month recess in the summertime, uh, we're now essentially looking at a four-month uh, recess. And I don't think that qualitatively speaking and in terms of experiences with one's kids and a family should be really any different during May and June as they might be in July and August. So that makes things such as uh, doing crafts over the table, uh, examining opportunities for activities outside, uh, exploring, if not re-exploring, the playgrounds, for example, that have just been reopened. And by virtue of being fortunate to be in a province that really has managed to contain this uh, in a remarkably good way, uh, I think that in a still respecting what we have to do in in terms of uh, safety and good health. Uh, This is going to be a a rare opportunity, Hal, maybe a brief moment in history uh, where kids can actually suspend the the dullness and the mediocrity and the boredom that they often complain about in terms of their schooling uh, to be in a situation where a parent can now ask, Okay, now that you have eight weeks now that you didn't plan on uh, to no longer be required to attend school, what would you like to accomplish instead? Mm. And uh, it reminds me of something that my young son mentioned to me years ago. Uh, He often struggled with the the whole notion of being in school, and, and, and he said he was bored all the time. And so I asked him, well, what do you mean by being bored? And he said, well, I don't get to do what I want to do. And I've never forgotten that. And so this is the opportunity for kids to free themselves from some of those things that they might not have liked uh, about uh, formal schooling and have an opportunity to accomplish something outside of that. Right. And what a great opportunity for moms and dads and parents to have the conversation with their kids 
about what interests them and, as you say, what do you want to do, right? What a, what a great opportunity. And, and I'm, I'm trying really hard wherever I can to look at opportunities and the good news uh, in this pandemic. And I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you helping me find that with the education um, story today. Uh, Dr. John Murray, thank you very much. We'll have you back soon. Okay, thank you so much, Hal. Have a good day and uh, be safe and patient. Yes, patient, right. Education prof, University of Manitoba, Dr. John Murray. Excellent stuff. Joining us now, how are you feeling? Are you feeling rested? Did you get some sleep? Are you feeling exhausted, even though maybe you slept in a little bit, caught up on some sleep on the weekend? There's a reason, apparently. Diana McMillan is a sleep researcher at the University of Manitoba, and she joins us on the phone now. Uh, Diana, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you so much for doing this. I was reading an article, and I was just saying to my wife Jackie the other day, I'm taking you know opportunities where I can to get a little extra sleep. I'm feeling exhausted. Why am I feeling exhausted? And then I was reading this story, and you tell me if you agree with this. Um, the article I was reading says that because of the threat to our security, both our health and our finances, we're worried, we're anxious, and those emotions are making us feel exhausted. True or not? Uh, that is true, actually. Um, we What we do know is that when we're highly anxious or feeling fearful, um, it's like we're on high alert always. And uh, that's a really exhausting um, thing to be so vigilant for so long. The other thing that we know is that um, a lot of us have experienced a, a lot of losses, whether we're missing friends or we're feeling isolated or or, you know, maybe missing uh, events or um, certainly economic uh, challenges um, uh, can make us feel very sad. And so that, that sadness or depression can also uh, play havoc with our sleep as well. It's interesting that you said loss because the article goes on to talk about the fact that many of us are going through some of the seven stages of grief, shock, denial, anger, depression, understanding, acceptance, moving on. So yeah, we've lost things, haven't we? We have, although I would I would maybe be a little cautious about using and that's that's uh, Kubler-Ross's uh, theory and and I know the article that you're talking about. Um, I'd be a little bit cautious to to think that we can really um, put this experience and our reactions um, to this pandemic uh, exactly on the curve. Um, perhaps as that uh, as that author has has stated. I think it's an right. interesting way of looking at it, but I'd be pretty cautious. We're we're dealing with many many different things, and I think the other thing is to remember is that while perhaps we're not all in the same boat, we're in the same storm, meaning that each of us experience this a bit differently. And some people, um, you know, are are, um, not having as many challenges as other people. And so each of us is going to be in a bit of a different place uh, as we go through this. Sure, because we all experience different uh, type of sleep, uh, types of sleep, different quality of sleep, right? I mean, the first thing I say to my wife every morning was, is, is how did you sleep? Because she struggles. She's a bit of an insomniac. I can sleep 
anywhere, anytime. It goes way back to my rock radio days when I knew I had to, I had a wait. My life was way too busy. I knew I had 20 minutes to catch a nap, and I could I could do it. But even I find lately I'm struggling to get to sleep, and sometimes don't feel like getting up. So so talk about that a bit, and and how can we address some of these issues with our sleep right now during this pandemic? Well, I think a lot of our routine is has really been thrown out the window for many for many individuals, and so um, trying to get back into a, a, a healthier routine, a, a more normal circadian rhythm where we actually get up in the morning, um, we get some sunshine. Try to sit by the window if you can't get out. Uh, open the window, get some fresh air. If you can go out for a walk, that's a really great thing as well. Um, trying to get um, a, a reasonable bedtime. I know, um, you know, not only kids, but a lot of fo- folks are, you know, uh, up really late um, or watching the news and, and sort of watching kind of uh, very anxiety-provoking information just before bedtime, which is really not a, not a terrific thing. So try to do something that's relaxing, um, that will distract you maybe from your troubles of the day. Um, and uh, getting that exercise is a really great thing. Maybe get out if you can get to a garden, do a little gardening, or get out in nature, in the trees. Um, and that will actually help with your stress. The fresh air is great for you. The sunlight can help with your rhythm, and uh, it'll make you feel uh, a much healthier kind of tired and allow you to sleep better as well. And here's maybe my final question, unless another one comes to mind here after you answer me. But, um, you know, we're I think I'm six weeks into doing my show from home, so things have changed for me for, for six weeks. And if that's affecting my sleep, Will I quickly get back into a normal routine? You know, here we are on the day where things are starting to get back to something closer to normal as stores reopen and, you know, restaurant patios are in business. And will I be able to get back into my usual flow again quickly or will it take some time? Will I ever uh, catch up on what I've lost over the past six weeks or however much longer this goes on? Well, um, I think it's going to change a little bit by person. Um, I think we're in for quite a different scenario for a while. Uh, and so while we're um, delightfully moving forward and, and Manitoba is in a, in a much better position than other provinces, I think we're not going to get a reset to our normal for a while. The world will be different until I think we get a vaccine that is, um, you know, safe and readily accessible. And so just for us to get into a normal routine will be a while. And then after that, uh, once we sort of uh, acclimatize, um, it's going to take us a while to not feel that anxiety perhaps or that um, fear of, um, you know, a second wave, um, these kinds of things. And so, you know, based on what uh, I've heard in terms of accounts of the um, uh, Spanish flu, um, there were there was a quite, quite a bit of anxiety that carried over for a while. And until we've really sort of addressed and moved forward from that, we may find that we have more trouble sleeping um, as as a collective than we have in the past. Diana, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome, Hal. Take care. Bye-bye. Diana McMillan is a sleep researcher at the University of Manitoba. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.